Father God, as we now come to the preaching of your word, we ask you to bless. Bless your word. Do what you said you would do with your word, that you would never let it return void, but would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Lord, we are looking at a troubling text, one that one minister said that he would he would often skip so as not to to raise controversy within his church. But Father, your word is true, and I pray now that you would enable it to be taught rightly, that we might respond in faith to it and live for your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we are going to continue walking through Matthew 24, which is a terrifying text. It's a difficult text uh, for many accounts, some of which you'll see in just a moment. But we're doing this so that we can be renewed in our vision. It's easy to get distracted by all the things of this world, and we need to map out our vision. We need to have a real clear sense of what it is we're doing in light of everything else that's going on around us. Because it is. It's so easy to get distracted. You know, I don't go to the grocery store a lot, and so I was I was there um, about a week ago, and I had a very clear assignment. It was to get a charger for my phone and some candy. Candy that, that by the way, was not M&M's, and so I was really outside of, outside of myself on that one. And so when I walked in, I was overwhelmed immediately by all the stuff. I mean, stuff I didn't even know I needed. There was a grill on sale. All of a sudden, I felt like I needed a new grill. You know what I mean? And there were DVDs, and I thought, you know what? I didn't even know these movies were made. And there was a mountain. I mean, literally a mountain of cookies. Cookies that I didn't know even existed that suddenly I felt as though I needed every one of them, right? And so going through the store, I ran into some of you, and some of the boys and girls were excited because they got new school supplies, and they wanted me to see the kitten on their folder, and I thought that was great. And so I hugged them, and I'm talking to them. Some of you shared prayer requests with me, and that was great. I finally made it to the section where I thought the courts would be, which was in the electronic section, which, have you seen some of the TVs that are out there today? I mean, these things are massive. I need one, and they're big, and they're bright, and there's video games. There's all kinds of games, and when you go to some of these places, you can play some of the games there, so I did. And by the time, you know, other kids were wanting to play and I had to step away, I'd forgotten why I was there. And I thought, I'm going to have to call someone and ask them, why am I here right now? What was my purpose? And then I remember I typed it into my notes section on my phone, which is very helpful. And so I was able to get back to it. But you know what? Going through life is often like going through a grocery store, isn't it? You have a sense of what you're supposed to be doing, but by the time you get into it, there's all kinds of things that are there to distract us. And so we need to map out our vision for what it is we're supposed to be doing. We need to have a real clear sense of what it is God is doing in the world and how it is we are responsibly joining Him. This takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of faith. We, we must be like the men of Issachar. I love this text, First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. You know this one? Uh, Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, they understood what was going on. Look at this. They knew what to do, to know what Israel ought to do. In order for us to know what we're supposed to be doing, we, we need to understand. We need to understand the times. We need to understand the Word of God. And once we do that, we will, we will have a sense of what it is we're supposed to be doing with our one and only life. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Matthew chapter 24. In our text today, we see what it is we need to understand in order to do what it is we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Dawson McDaniels is going to read for us, so let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. It's a rather long text, so we've got a scholar going into his senior year at South Warren, and he's going to read for us these 16 
verses, beginning in, in verse 15. Dawson, if you would. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in the house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take it cloak. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those nursing and who are nursing and infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world now and to now and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect in those days, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, for there he is, do not believe it. For the false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Dawson. If you would, go ahead and be seated. You know, one of the many things I love about our church family, the thing I love about Living Hope is how we care for people. We not only equip the saints for the work of the ministry, but there are also opportunities for, for people to gather and connect groups, to, to nurture one another, to dig into the faith and to advance the kingdom. One of the things that we offer here that I'm, I'm most pleased with and I'm excited about the, the transformation we're seeing in people's lives is through our counseling center. Uh, we have people every day that are coming for biblical counseling and who are finding hope and healing through the power of God's Word. I recently spoke with an individual who I had recommended go to our counseling center, and I asked how it was going, and this individual said something that sort of surprised me. Uh, they looked at me and said, oh, I'm done with that. And I thought, okay, this could be really good or really bad. What does that mean? I'm done with that. And, and this person shared, well, I went for several weeks. During the time, I got a lot of, of instruction in the Word of God, and uh, the counselor and I both decided I was, I was well enough to be able to pursue and, and recover God's design for my life. And I said, well, what does that look like? And, and this person said, well, I'm, I'm actually now a faithful disciple seeking to be a worshiper who is experiencing the family of faith, who is a servant, who is learning, and who is living as a missionary here in the city. And I said, that is phenomenal. I said, well, what was it for you that clicked? I said, from time to time, I'll talk to folks who have gone through counseling and, and something clicked in their, in their their own mind or heart, and, and it really liberated them to, to live for the glory of God in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. They said, well, for me, it was Matthew 18. I said, well, well tell me, what, what, what do you mean? This person said, well, you know, it, it really became clear to me that God really has forgiven me. And because God has forgiven me, I can forgive myself. And because God has forgiven me and I have the power to forgive myself, then I can forgive anybody else. They said, there was a moment when I got it. And when I got that, I was able to go on and live my life for the glory of God. 
you know, this person got it so that they were now able, now are able to know what to do. There's certain things that we need to get, that we need to get to click here so that we can know what to do. And our text reveals uh, three of those that we need to get. I want to encourage you to take note. In order for us to know what to do, uh, we, we, we need to get a few things. So we know what to do. First of all, write this one down. When we get the prophecy of God, when we get the prophecy of God, look at verse 15 of Matthew 24. So, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and then Matthew provides a personal commentary inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, let the reader understand. Now let's remember who it is Matthew was writing to. He was writing to Jews. He was talking to, writing to Jews who were already believers in Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. They were to use this gospel that Matthew had written and was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that other Jews could believe that Jesus Christ is the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah. And so he, he makes this statement, he gives his readers a clue about what Jesus is talking about. Some about the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Now the Jews in that day would have been like, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. Uh, we not so much. Uh, we have so many other things going on, but I can guarantee you when there's something specific about our nation, we kind of clue into it. We kind of know, oh, oh my, this is going to impact my my finances, my life, what's going on in my world. And so when, when the Jews heard this, when they read this, what, what Matthew was talking about, they really clued into it because this prophecy had a lot to do with everything about their lives. And so they were very familiar with it. Now, us, not maybe so much. Uh, maybe you've done deep study into the, the historical realities of the prophecies uh, of the prophet Daniel, but, but maybe not. So we may need to know a little context here. Let's remember what Jesus was doing. Jesus was ask, answering a very practical question posed to him by the disciples. We talked about this last week, but I want to show it to you again just as a reminder. Matthew 24, 3, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? That is the return. When was he going to come back? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And so Jesus is telling them what to anticipate in, in light of his second coming. And he's saying, telling them, you need to hope in this. You need to also help others with this. They need to know, the world needs to know about the second coming of Christ. And so he's now explaining that to them in light of the prophecy given by Daniel. And we know that he's specifically speaking of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And this is what it says. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. There is so much there. We don't have time to fill in all the nuances of this text, but it's important to understand that Daniel prophesied that the temple would be destroyed by the enemies of God. There were several times when the Jewish nation thought this was taking place. One of those times occurred in uh, 167 B.C. when and, 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 I can't believe I can't say this right. Antiochus Epiphanes, it's a selective king. You think I just know it off the top of my tongue, right? So he, he, what he did was it was unbelievable what he did. He basically outlawed the um, religious activities of the of the Jews. He took the temple, he put an altar to Zeus, and he sacrificed swine there, which was an absolute abomination to the people of God. Now many thought this was the prophecy that 
Daniel was was speaking to. But Jesus makes it clear that that what Daniel was was pointing to was something that was about to happen 37 years later after the death of Jesus, which was the complete destruction of the temple, which occurred in A.D. 70. And that with the destruction of that temple, that the people should begin to anticipate something that other New Testament writers spoke of, which was the coming of this beast, this evil one who would who would deceive the nations, who would take upon himself authority, and he would drive people away from the one true God. We read about this one in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This is the, the man of lawlessness, is what Paul references him as in 2 Thessalonians. Now, John, writing in Revelation, having seen a vision, he refers to him as Antichrist. He does so also in his in his uh, epistles, First John in particular. But we see what he saw in Revelation 13, 14 in this vision, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and, and yet lives. So there is this one who is going to come and deceive the nations. There will be supernatural powers. And, and again, we don't have time to dig into the nuances of, of this man of lawlessness or this antichrist. But what we do need to understand and what Jesus was pointing to is the fact that there are things that have been, things that are, and things that will be, and they are all under the authority of God Almighty. There is nothing that has been, there is nothing that is, and there is nothing that will be that is not under the sovereign care of God. Listen, human reality is a mystery to us. We don't get it. We don't get what was and what is and how it connects and what what will be. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the mental capacity to do that. But we need to understand that God does. God is able all simultaneously to know what was, what is, and what will be. He is eternal. He is beyond time and space. And, And so when God thinks about reality, he sees reality in terms of history, present reality, and the future, all is the same thing, all at the same time. Now, that is a mystery to us. We cannot understand the omniscient power of God, nor can we understand the, the power of, uh, and the details of prophecies, but what we need to understand is this. God is in control. God knows what's happening. God has a purpose and a plan for everything that happens, and it will all be according to His eternal plan. The world is going just as God said it would. And the Bible explains this reality. The Bible is a single story that tells the reality of of all human history and future. Let's remember the Bible is a single story. It's not a collection of stories. It's not a collection of sayings. There's four parts. Creation, fall. Can you tell me what the four parts are? What are they? You hear these all the time. What is the Bible? It's a four part. Say it out loud. There is creation. Cheat notes. How many of you cheated? Show your hands. All right. As long as you're honest in church, some of you are going to hell. I don't know why you're going to tell over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what is this about? The Bible tells us what's going on in the world. What's going on in the world? The world is not as it should be. One of our pastors was working out this week, and, he, and he's seeing all this stuff, and this guy next to him is talking about, can you believe this mess? He's like, yeah, the world is not as it should be. Why? God created everything to be in harmony, but because of sin, there's now brokenness. So now we're in the time of the rescue. And when we read our Bibles, understand there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think about it this way. Promises made, promises kept. 
In the Old Testament, we see promises made about the rescue. In the New Testament, we see promises kept about the rescue. We're in a time of rescue. We're in a time of spiritual warfare where we get to fight for the glory of God. When the restoration has come, the war is over. There will be no more opportunities for us to give financially, to give voice to the gospel, to see someone saved from their sin. When the restoration happens, the the enemy will be vanquished, and there's no more opportunity for us to fight the good fight of faith. Right now, right now, it's the time of rescue. Right now, we have the opportunity for the glory of God to join Him in what He is doing. And as we do that, we need to fully anticipate tribulation. Listen, as you are seeking to throw out this life preserver, this lifesaver that is Jesus Christ, anticipate spiritual warfare. Anticipate the enemy coming against you. This is what Jesus said would happen. Look what Jesus said, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Okay, that answers the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That right there answers why there is brokenness and pain. Sin has entered the world. The evil one is at work. You will have tribulation. Good news, though. But Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's happening in the world right now? We are in the process of joining God and letting, know, letting the world know, letting the people we know, that Jesus saves that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for sin, that Jesus Christ has been raised, and that Jesus Christ is coming again. Have you verbally communicated that to everyone you know, or are you wrongly assuming that everyone you know already knows this? Friends, hear me. Everyone needs to hear this from your lips. You say, well, they've heard it before. Yes, but they probably love and respect you and the fact that you're living for the glory of God to the best of your ability. When you communicate, this is what you believe, and this is how you are seeking to live out your calling in this time of tribulation. It may be the very thing that God uses to awaken them to the reality of their own desperate need so that they too might repent and believe and be saved. Friends, our job right now is to join God in what he's doing. Christ has come. The rescue is on. It's time to be a part of what he's doing. Now, we know to do that when we get prophecy. Second thing we need to get is this. We know what to do when we get the people of God. When we get the people of God. The evil one hates the people of God. We need to get what it means to be God's people. It means that we will be attacked by the evil one. Now, here's good news, bad news. Good news is he's got, he's got no new tricks. He does it the same way over and over again. The bad news is that he's very effective. It's very effective. So what does he do? First of all, the evil one always attempts to terrify us physically. You look in verses 16 through 22. This is how he attempts to, to terrify the, the people of God. He, he, had, he forces us at times to have to flee for physical safety. Now, please understand, there are times when God will uniquely call people to enter into danger. We have missionaries who are right now living in the face of danger. There have been martyrs who have died for the faith according to the will of God. There are leaders who have been persecuted and suffered according to the will of God that, that, that God might make himself manifest through their suffering. There are times when we are to enter into situations that are dangerous. In 2009, I, I knew and I, I believed that God had called me to go to India to share the gospel. 
hours before our plane departed from Nashville. Our ambassador contacted the country to inform all Americans that they should not enter into India. There had been an attack. Pakistan had, uh, some terrorists from there had, had, had set five bombs that had gone off in Delhi. There were many who were saying you should not go. One of the most difficult things I did was to look at my two-year-old son, Asher, and put arms around him and tell him, buddy, I love you, but I gotta go. I knew God had called me to go there. When God calls you and when you find yourself in dangerous situations, Jesus says to do some specific things here. First one is this, pray. Verse 20, he says, pray. Turn to God, talk to him, and seek his purpose according to his word in this situation. Second thing is this, flee. Pray that your flight avoid danger. Protect yourself and your family. Listen, when I got into India and mobs were beginning to gather, I didn't go get in the midst of them and ask who wanted a piece of me, right? I didn't walk up and they were chanting all this stuff and say, who wants some of this American? Let's do this. It's not what I did, right? You know what I did? I ran the other way. Mob formed, Pettis ran, right? Prayed as I ran. So we don't, it's not as though we're supposed to put the Lord God to the test and jump off a mountain and expecting him to catch us. We are to pray. We are to flee danger in and of all possible and then trust. Verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God provides for his people. Know that God is at work through every situation. Pray, be wise, and trust God with, with whatever happens. The second thing Satan attempts to do, the evil one attempts to deceive us spiritually. You see that in verses 23 through 26. And look what Jesus said very clearly. Do not believe it. Do not be deceived. I'm going to tell you something. It is, it is impossible for a child of God living under the authority of God's word, gathered with his people, under accountability, to be deceived. You may get confused from time to time, but you will not be deceived. If you are sitting under the preaching of God's Word every week and then throughout your day looking to God's Word for direction, there may be confusing moments, but you will not be deceived by the evil one because the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth and the truth will set you free. Do not be deceived. The evil one will seek to, uh, to, to try to intimidate us physically. He will attempt to deceive us spiritually. And then he will attempt to overwhelm us emotionally. That's what you see happening in verses 27 through 28. What the enemy wants to do is to get us clamoring and running over and, uh, all over the place, chasing our own tails, if you will. He says, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. He says, look, look to my coming. Don't look to what everyone's saying about this, that, and the other. Look to my coming. Look to Christ. Look for what he's doing. And remember, he's with you. Jesus has called us to, to engage in this time in the rescue. How did he say it in the Great Commission? He, he said in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've taught you. But don't forget this part either. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do not be deceived. Do not be afraid. Do not be confused. Do not be overwhelmed. Jesus is with us. Amen. And because he is with us, we know what to do. Because we are God's people, we understand we are God's people. What that means, we get that. We know what to do. Third thing, we know what to do when we get the purpose of God. 
You look at verses 29 through 31, and you see a distinct order here, immediately after the tribulation. So there's tribulation, and then there will be astrological phenomenon, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. Now look, I know that many have worked out in time charts and showed that the church will not go through the tribulation, and I hope they're right. But we must all be prepared that they may be wrong. We must be prepared to go through the tribulation. Michael Horton, a theologian, writing about Matthew 24, this is what he said. We are living in this period that is simultaneously an age of prosperity where the salvation of God is reaching the ends of the earth, yet also an age of tribulation and suffering. The church will thrive in growing and spreading even as the world will become more corrupt and hostile to, to Christ's kingdom. After this lengthy period, Jesus explains he will return with his angels to gather his elect from the whole earth and judge the nations. The question I get often is this. Will the church live through the tribulation? I also get the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Here's what I say to both. I say it often. God has a purpose, and he will do what is best according to his word and his perfect will. Not everybody agrees on whether the church will be in the tribulation. I have opinions. I have beliefs. But here's what I know. There's, there's a lot of very smart leaders who say we will go through it. And I know there's a lot of good people who are suffering today. Why? I don't know. Here's what I do know. We can trust God. We can trust God that He knows, that He knows what is best. And what is best will be done according to His Word and according to His perfect will. And that is enough. That is enough. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to fulfill our purpose. No matter what is going on in the world, no matter whether we're in the tribulation or pre-tribulation period, regardless of where we are, friends, we must, we must let the world know what has, what has happened. We must make them aware of the rescue. Listen, we know that the world is not as it should be. We know the three circles. We understand there's brokenness because of sin. But we need to be reminded that, that the gospel is true, the gospel is real. We need to help people know that they need to repent of brokenness and sin and believe that Jesus Christ is God, died for sin, is raised, is coming again so that they can recover and pursue God's design. We must tell them. All the while, we've got to remember that the story is only three-fourths done. Yes, creation, fall. We're now in the third of four parts of reality. The rescue is on. We must join God in sharing the good news with other people, knowing that He is going to come back. In light of His return, we need to be mindful that we've got to make choices. And everybody in this room is making a choice right now. Remember what Joshua said. Remember what he said in, in, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. So here's the deal. If you believe that, that trusting in Jesus Christ and believing in the Bible is wrong, then do what you think is right. If, if you believe that rejecting Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died, was buried, was raised, living under His grace and His authority the remainder of your life, anticipating His return, if that's evil, then do what you think. 
whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river of the gods, the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. You want to do it? You want to pursue the American dream? You want to trust in government? You want to trust in money and power and, and your looks? You want to trust in things that you can't keep after death? Make your choice. I want to be like Joshua. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What about you? What about your life? Who do you serve? Who do you trust? Who are you living for? What is your choice? Understand, you will give an account for your choice. We all will. Every one of us will stand before God and we'll have to explain ourselves. We'll have to be held accountable for what we chose to do with Jesus, what we chose to do with our one and only life. What it says in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. If you look in verses 29 and 30 of Matthew 24, you'll see two kinds of people. You'll see one set of people that are like the nations who mourn at the coming of Christ. There are others who are eagerly awaiting the coming of Christ. Which one are you? If Jesus Christ were to come back right now, would you mourn or would you rejoice? It all depends on what you've chosen to do with Jesus. If you've decided that you want to live your life for your pleasure, for your dreams, for your ambition, for your delights, and, and, and you do what you want to do, you will mourn the coming of Jesus because you will be held liable and accountable for your decisions. And you will hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. Some of you may say, well, didn't I go to church? Didn't I listen to that crazy bald guy? He's going to say it wasn't about that. It's about faith in Christ. And for those who are trusting for and living for the glory of God in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we know what to do. We know what to do because we understand, we get what God is doing, we get prophecy. We get God's purpose. We get what it means to be God's people. Now, some of you today, what you need to do right now is you need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and you need to give your whole life to Jesus. Some of you are living in fear. Some of you are intimidated by the things of this world. It's because you're trusting in a created thing. Stop. Trust Jesus. Give Jesus your life now and your future. Trust him with it. That's what it means to be a Christian. Some of you have done that, but you're still, you've got this eye on the world. You're so caught up and worried and you're distracted. It's like going to the grocery store. It's like you're overwhelmed every day with something new. You need to come today and you need to say, God, I trust you. Focus me on your will. Focus me on the rescue. And some of you need help. Maybe there's an ongoing sin. Maybe there's an ongoing conflict. Maybe there's an ongoing problem with your health, with some aspect of your life that continues to draw your attention away. Ask God right now. Say, Lord Jesus, focus me. Help me. Provide for this situation. Provide for this need and trust Him. Trust Him. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, we need you. 
We need what, what you alone have, which is the grace to redeem us, forgive us of our sin, the life that enables us to live in obedience to you, to join you in what you're doing in the world, to join you in the world that is to come. Father, I pray now that there will be some who will say to you, Lord, here's my life. Lord, here's my circumstance. Here's the situation. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm going to trust in you. I know what to do. I'm, I'm to trust in you. I'm to, I'm to obey you. I'm to let others know about you. Lord, there's some who have needs today. Hear them as they ask you to provide. Lord, we need you. We confess that now in song, and we pray that you will hear those who come to you now in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and pray as we sing together.